Excellent. If you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. Numbers chapter 11 is the passage of Scripture we're reading this morning in our series, Seeing Christ in All of Scripture. We are in the book of Numbers, and we're going to read Numbers chapter 11 here this morning. And church, thank you for your love for one another, your generosity toward one another, your prayers for one another. For all those who were affected by the uh, floodwaters this past week, please uh, know that you're being prayed for with love and compassion. We're so sorry for the trial that you've been enduring. And we are with you. As we turn our attention to the Word of God, let's look at Numbers 11 and read this glorious chapter of Scripture together. I believe God's going to really reveal Himself to us today through this section of Scripture. Numbers 11, beginning in verse 1. Let's read. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, His anger was kindled and The fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Tibera, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of bdellium. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills and beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their tents, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. And Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people, for they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. 
And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall not eat this one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but a whole month. Until, until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before Him, saying, Why did we come out of Egypt? But Moses said, The people among whom I am number, I am number 600,000 on foot, and you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month? Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to them, this is is a great phrase, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put His Spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side around the camp and about two cubits above the ground. And the people rose all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp while the meat was yet between their teeth before it was consumed. The anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. And the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore the name of that place was called Kibroth Hatavah, because there they buried the people who had the craving. And from Kibroth Hatavah, the people journeyed to Hazaroth, and they remained at Hazaroth. The title of the message this morning is, is the Lord's hand shortened? Is the Lord's hand shortened? And we're going to look at three points this morning. Number one, the evil of complaining. Secondly, great promises from a great God. And thirdly, worship God for who He is. Worship God for who He is. Let's, let's pray together. Oh, Almighty God. We just thank you so much for being able to be together today. And we thank you for Numbers chapter 11. 
Lord, we pray that You would bring its relevance home into our hearts today and that You would transform us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be men and women of God who glorify You and that we would look to You today. Lord, I pray that You would forgive us of all of our sins and for those who don't know You yet in this room, that You would grant repentance and saving faith to them. And for the saints, my brothers and sisters who are believers in You, strengthen them according to Your Word and strengthen me that we would be different and transform, that we would love You more for all that You've done for us in Christ. We ask You to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, there's an excellent movie uh, by the name of The Greatest Showman that probably many of you have seen. And uh, it's a story about P.T. Barnum, the, uh, the individual who, uh, who designed and brought about the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. And that storyline of, of The Greatest Showman is a wonderful story about his life and the transformation that takes place in his life, as he was a man who was not ever really satisfied with what he had been given and was always longing for more, more fame, more money, more recognition. And the the, the storyline of that movie just continues to to build and has a great conclusion to it. I don't want to ruin the story for you in case you haven't seen it yet, but it's an excellent movie and an excellent and edifying musical to watch. Uh, Me and my family have really enjoyed it, and I know many of you have as well. There's a song in the midst of the movie, it's, it's entitled Never Enough, and there's a woman, woman named Jenny Lynn who sings this song, but it, it's really a song that captures the heart of man really without Christ. And th- this song, Never Enough, has a, it's really a powerful song about the human heart's propensity to never be satisfied. Um, and in, in the song, the, the lyrics go like this, all the shine of a thousand spotlights and all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough, never be enough. And then and it goes on, towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough, never be enough for me, for me. And I was thinking of this song's lyrics as I was studying this passage of Scripture this week in preparation for the delivery of this sermon. In Numbers chapter 11, right on the heels, really, of seeing the Lord just move in power. And in the section that we read last week at the very end, we saw that the the ark of the Lord went before the people of Israel to find a place of rest for them. You just see the grace of God and the kindness of God and going before the people in order to bring about their rest. You see such grace and such kindness from God. But Numbers 11, there's this transition and it's it's just so sad to see this development, but one that we can really relate to. I think this sermon's going to have a lot of relevance and application in our lives as we look at point one, the evil of complaining. Look at God's Word, verse 1. In chapter 11 with me. And the people complain in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, His anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. 
the fire of the Lord burned among the people. We, we see this story progress where the, the people then cry out to Moses and Moses prays to the Lord and the fire dies down. But it actually just goes on. The storyline goes on and it, it shows a, a satisfaction that is lacking in the people of God, the people of Israel. As you look in verse 4 and, and you see it says, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving and the people of Israel also wept again and said oh that we had meat to eat and they they look back nostalgically on their time in Egypt when they were slaves by the way and they start to cry out remember the fish we ate and remember the cucumbers the melons the leeks the onions and the garlic and now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now we know from the Scriptures that the manna is described by God as bread from heaven. And there's this progression throughout the book of Numbers. It's a sad one where the people of God begin to take the bread from heaven for granted. And actually... Later on in the book of Numbers, when they complain by the waters of Meribah and provoke the anger of the Lord again, they actually say, they call the manna, the bread from heaven, worthless food. They're just disgusted with their situation and where they're at. And they, they complain. And we, we see just the evil of complaining in this passage of Scripture. Oh, that we had meat to eat. They had a strong craving, it says in verse 4. This word for strong craving craving in the original Hebrew is actually a word that signifies greedy desires. Greedy desires. It's the actual same exact word in the Hebrew used when Eve takes a look at the forbidden fruit in the garden and she sees it and it's a delight to her eyes, it says in Scripture. Psalm 106 describes this intense craving that the people of Israel had for meat to eat as that they, they lusted exceedingly for it. There was a sinful desire a greedy desire that they had. And the word, actually in the book of Proverbs, it connects this Hebrew word to the sin of coveting. It's it's wanting something that you don't have, but you really wish you had. You really feel like you need this in order to be happy. I, I want this. I need this. Oh, that we had meat to eat. I wonder when we begin the phrase, oh, that we had blank, what would you fill in that blank with right now in your life? Oh, that we had. We see just in this section as the musical said it, it, it'll never be enough. It'll never be enough. The human heart is not satisfied. Indeed, as The church father Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest 
in thee, in you, God. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. There's this strong craving and they rise up against Moses with weeping. We see here that this response of weeping, not all weeping is glorifying to God. There can be times when we are weeping our eyes out, but our hearts are actually driven, not upward toward God in faith, but we are actually weeping because we are idolizing something so much. We're craving something so strongly and we're not getting it that we're essentially kicking and screaming before God because we're not getting what we are craving. And there's this complaint that rises up from the people to Moses, and they just say, all we've got is this manna to look at. Oh, brothers and sisters, this description, it shows that when we complain as believers, we dangerously look back with fondness to the pleasures of the past. And this causes us not to see any longer the beauty and the preciousness of the present blessings of God. And Moses, he he caves in when he sees the people complaining. It's almost like he has a moment where he breaks down as well and, and, and he complains to the Lord as well. Crying out to God, like God, if asking all these questions, Lord, it's too much for me, you giving me these people. And if you're going to treat me like this, God, if you're going to treat me like this, kill me at once, Moses says. This is a, as a mighty man of God, brothers and sisters, who is brought low in the midst of hearing the people around him complaining, and he gives himself over to complaining as well. And he actually says, God, kill me at once, that I might not see my wretchedness. He was so burdened down that he was actually complaining himself. It was humbling for Moses to have his wretchedness through life circumstances revealed to him. And in a moment of weakness, he wishes to die rather than to have misery, affliction, and ruin from the people come upon him. We learned something there. We would rather die than need to suffer ruin and misery and humiliation, setback defeat, discouragement, temptation. We would just rather die than to have to face that. And we see that these things are great tests for us as God's people, as the book of Numbers and the word in the Hebrew means, as we're in the wilderness. There are temptations to complain that abound around us. And yet, we must remember, brothers and sisters, that the Lord is a affected by our complaining. We see the people complaining here, and it just seems so legitimate, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, if you only had bread to eat for so long, you would get sick of it. And it seems so reasonable to to struggle in this way. It seems so reasonable for Moses 
to break down like this and we can all relate to it. And the danger with all of us being able to relate to it is we can start to minimize the seriousness of the evil of complaining. We need to take to heart that God takes complaining seriously. We see that it provokes His anger in verses 1-3, through and it provokes His anger at the end of the chapter. The people of Israel are actually beginning to eat the meat that the Lord graciously provides for them, and the Lord brings about a plague, and many of them are struck down. There was this unrepentant, unthankful heart that the people of Israel had. And the anger of the Lord breaks out in the camp over how they were lusting exceedingly. How they were greedy in their desires. And how their heart was crying out, yeah God, we're glad we got you, but we need more. There's never enough to satisfy the human heart unless we look to Christ. Oh, brothers and sisters, let us look at the people of Israel and let us learn some lessons. Unsatisfied cravings now tempt you to reflect on the past in a sinful way. Have you ever done that? To look back. Jesus tells us to put our hand to the plow and not look back. There's a temptation for us as God's people to look back. And when we look back, we're tempted nostalgically to to look back at what seemed like more favorable times. We don't remember needing to get up and serve the Egyptians every day. That's like gone from our brain as we look back. But now, because we're suffering in the present, the past looks so great. And we look at the past with rose-colored glasses, and we, we imagine that it was so great for us while we were in bondage to our sin heading toward hell. It's amazing the deceitfulness of sin and how it can lay us low. We must learn a lesson here about nostalgia and how nostalgia can actually be a stumbling block to God's people. Sometimes there's a looking back that's actually edifying, but there could be a nostalgia that's a a sinful nostalgia, looking back and having a craving for what we have thought we had in the past and wanting it in the present and complaining and actually drifting away from God. Are you ever tempted to look back with rose-colored glasses on your life in the past? Are you ever tempted to look And say like Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 10 says, listen to this. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this, Scripture says. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Looking back on the past can actually lead us to stumble if we are driven to do that because of the sinful cravings, the greedy cravings of our heart. You know, I I look at my life and if 
felt like the Lord, even this this past week, was was just asking me a question of, CB, what do you want out of life? I was just having a a pocket in the midst of this week where I was just tempted to complain, and and I remember asking very quickly. I just I just want to be able to say, life's just great. Life's awesome. Things are going great. And every craving that I have is just satisfied. Brothers and sisters, the Lord was just convicting me. I was just fellowshipping with my wife Shannon over that. And there's just such a selfishness in that desire for utopia. The desire for life to just deliver a sense of life's great to me. There's, there's, there's an idolatry in that. It's, it's a life that's rather than focused on giving and pouring out my life in the others, it's a, it's an orientation of I want something to flow to me. Can you relate to that? That's a very strong desire. And it, and, and for the Israelites here, it's focused on meat. Meat becomes sort of the object of, of, of their exceeding lust for self-satisfaction, but it, can shift and change, and perhaps for some of you, you could define it with an individual thing. Oh, that I had blank. Fill in the blank. We are experts, really, as the people of God. As John Calvin says, we are, the human heart, a factory of idols. We are very gifted at manufacturing false gods and saying, oh God, if you just gave me this, then my heart would be satisfied. But brothers and sisters, it'll never be enough. Never be enough for me and for you. Christ is about transforming our desires. He is not about being a means to our end of giving us what we want out of life. Christ is about transforming our desires so that we sing a different song than the song in The Greatest Showman. Christ is always enough. Christ is always enough for me. For me. Always. Always, always enough. Always, always, always enough. He wants that song to come out from our hearts individually and collectively as a church. And if we want to develop a Christian life where we say, I I thank God that I got Jesus, but oh, that I had fill in the blank. Brothers and sisters, we are going to face God's gracious opposition to that desire. Because the Lord loves us too much than to deliver us into a place of self-satisfaction or a place where we find our satisfaction with the things in the world finally being acquired to our level of satisfaction. God will oppose that. And we can, in our flesh, we can either surrender to the Lordship of Christ and say, Lord, I'm going to stop that quest And I am going to engage in the quest of singing your song. Christ always is enough. Always, always, always enough. 
always, always, always enough for me, for me, so that we can lift our hands and, and, and join in a chorus together as the people of God where we are no longer clinging to the sinful cravings of this world, the greedy cravings, the, the exceeding lust and dissatisfaction of the world that in the end leads to death and eternal judgment and eternal fire in hell. He delivers us from that awful song and delivers us into a happy song of fulfillment, of gratification, of satisfaction. And brothers and sisters, that satisfaction that you long for, that you crave and that I crave out of life, can only come from Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Amen? I know you feel that way. That is your desire. But man, is it such a battle, isn't it? Are you feeling me on that? I can resonate. I used to, when I would read these sections of Scripture in the Old Testament, just kind of look at it and say, how could God's people struggle like this? And as I've matured as a Christian, I look and I say, there's C.B. Etter. I like to think that I would have been the only one amongst the 600,000 men that would not have been craving meat in the wilderness. But now I see that, you know what? Now I would have been first in line. Moses probably would have been staring at my face saying it's never enough. It's never enough. Why did you bring us out here to die, Moses? Why did God bring us out here to die? Oh, I hate that propensity that still resides in this heart. Don't you, brothers and sisters? But don't you also rejoice that God's transforming you? He's helping us to kill all that by the power of the Spirit. And He's transforming all of us to sing that happy song. Christ is always enough. Always, always, always enough. For me. For me. For me. Oh, friends. May we take our complaining seriously. May we, by way of practical application, may we repent of our greedy desires wherever you find them in your life. Wherever I find them as I look in my heart and in my thoughts. The answer isn't for those desires to be gratified. The answer is for them to be mortified and killed. The answer to idolatry isn't to go on a lifelong quest to fulfill them. It's to throw them into the fire. And to say, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. And may we be affected by this verse. This verse has touched my heart deeply over this past week. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. Here's the put on for us today. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God 
in Christ Jesus for you. Keep that up there for a second. Let's meditate on that for a moment. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do you believe God's Word this morning? Do you believe God's good? I know, so do I. Do you sometimes find it so hard, like I can, to give thanks in all circumstances? I can. I can. Do you see an easiness of complaining when things don't go your way? I can. I can. That one verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, can absolutely transform the rest of our Christian lives. That one verse. Do you believe it? Do you believe God's good? And that He's working all things together for your good? then brothers and sisters, let us strain with trembling hands up to God today in prayer and say, God, I give thanks to You for the hardest things that I'm facing right now in my own soul and in my own life. You know that spot right now where you're most tempted to complain? That's where the Holy Spirit's going to work. God is about producing a transformation in you and I to where we aren't saying, oh, I wish I had meat. And transforming us instead, rather, to say, thank you, God, that I'm at this spot in the wilderness. Thank you, God, that I have Christ. Christ is enough for me, Lord. And even if this situation never changes, even if you don't ever give me meat, I give thanks to you for this is your will for me, God, in Christ Jesus. Oh, brothers and sisters, may God empower us by the Holy Spirit to replace complaining with giving thanks. To replace complaining with giving thanks. Do you all feel like me that that's going to take a massive empowerment from the Holy Spirit to do? (laughs) Just this one area of sin, complaining. If that could be transformed like that right now in my life to giving thanks. What a changed man I would be. God's doing it, but He's doing it through the process of progressive sanctification. And there's a desperation that He brings us to where He brings us to our knees and helps us to see how desperate we really are. But He is transforming us from one degree of glory to another, brothers and sisters. He is bringing about 
thanksgiving in our hearts that are so apt to complain. Amen? And may we just rejoice this morning that God is so good, so big, and so forgiving, and so patient and compassionate with us, so as to make the kind of promises that He does in point two. Let's transition to point number two. Great promises from a great God. That whole first section of Scripture is marked by the complaining of God's people. The people as a whole and Moses as well. How amazing is it that in that second section, in, 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 in section beginning in verse 16 all the way through to 30, that God actually begins to take care of the actual things that Moses and the people of God were complaining about. It's true that the fire of God burned in the midst of the people complaining. And it's also true that at the end of the chapter, that God brings about a great plague because he's so moved by anger and a number of the people of God were struck down because of the evil of complaining. But brothers and sisters, one of the things I find so amazing in this section of Scripture is that Moses is complaining and he's doubting God, and yet God comes and he relieves the burden that he was facing, of feeling alone in his leadership, and he provides 70 men of the elders of Israel to help relieve that burden. He takes the Spirit of God that's on Moses, and he distributes it amongst the 70, so that they actually begin to prophesy, and everybody's noting that, wow, look at the way the power of the Spirit of God is moving over all the rest of these men. So much so that they actually say, stop it to them prophesying, because they begin a number of them become jealous for Moses, and Moses actually says, no, oh, that all of God's people were prophets. And that speaks to the wonderful, glorious new covenant where we see in the book of Acts that the Scriptures talk about how when the Spirit is outpoured at Pentecost, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. No longer will the Spirit of God reside on only a few, but the Spirit of God will be poured out and blessed upon all the people of God, so much so that even your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams. This this pouring out of the Holy Spirit lavishly and abundantly is a portrait of God's power and it's a portrait of God's generosity in the face of human sin. God is gracious and abundantly gracious. He takes care of Moses in the midst of Moses charging him and doubting him. How kind of God to meet our complaining in such a way. I'm actually moved as well by the way that the people of God complain about food to eat and they complain about not having meat. And God promises a great promise that no one else could have fulfilled, that He's going to provide meat for 600,000 men, which we've looked at in the census chapter, amounted to about 2 to 3 million people. Now, i I got to just hit this, because this is just awesome. I hope this causes you to just be dazzled by God. It actually is recorded in that very last section at the very end. It says, Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea. And let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side. Around the camp and about two cubits above the ground. 
a cubit is about a foot and a half. We're talking quail three feet deep. Brothers and sisters, these 600,000 men and their families, these three million people go out and they find quail to the tune of three feet deep. The, the, the amount that is actually gathered by each individual, it's described here. I love this. Those who gathered least gathered ten homers. The description of that quantity in pounds amounts to about 60 pounds of meat. Now, 60 pounds times 600,000. 36 million pounds of meat miraculously provided by our great God who made this great promise. And by the way, in the desert, in the wilderness, He brings these quail so that His people might be sustained, not just with bread from heaven. Consider the lavish grace. As Eric prophesied this morning, The lavish grace of God. 36 million pounds of meat from God for His people. In order to satisfy not a pure desire, brothers and sisters, a greedy desire. One that they lusted after exceedingly. And yet God, in His goodness, I remember I was pondering a while back. I remember giving a present to someone, and, and it was years ago now. And when I gave the present to them, they didn't even say thanks for it, just took it and walked away. I remember being incensed about one person not saying thanks over a gift that I generously provided for them. I noted it in my mind and thought, man, that was just rude. And I was not inclined to really want to go and buy another present. You know what I mean? And There's my heart. God deals with our complaining every single day. And yet, the word described about His grace and His provision over us is lavish. He doesn't just provide for our needs with just a minuscule amount. He's a 36 million pound provision God on our lives. And brothers and sisters, let us never doubt His greatness. Let let us never doubt the power of God to provide in such a way. This is meant to dazzle us. This is meant to blow us away. The the danger is we read these sections of Scripture and we're like, oh man, I met God provided meat in the wilderness. Isn't that cool? And to run past it quickly, we need to stop. We need to pause. We need to consider it in our own lives how God has been so gracious and has lavished so much provision on us And brothers and sisters, be reminded, bringing down millions of quail in the wilderness is as nothing compared to the power and grace needed to forgive any one of us our millions of sins.
but the arm of the Lord is not too short. The arm of the Lord is not shortened. Moses said, how could you do this? If all the cattle could be slaughtered and if all the fish of the sea could be gathered, God's like, is my arm too short? Where are you tempted right now to say, God's arm's too short for this in my life? God's arm's too short. He's not powerful enough. Remember Mark 10, 27. With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. If you're like me, I need a fresh injection of that every single day. Don't you? All things are possible with God. Brothers and sisters, He not only provides for all your material needs, but with infinite more significance, He provides for all of your spiritual needs. And your spiritual needs were this. Without God's strong arm of salvation, which by the way, don't forget the title over Christ in the book of Isaiah. The arm of the Lord. Christ is described as the arm of the Lord. The right hand of God and His power. It was nothing for Him to bring quail in the wilderness. It was the hardest thing God ever did to forgive you and I of our millions of sins. But God met our millions of sins with even more grace. So that those of us in this room who have repented of our sins and trusted in Christ, we don't need to go to heaven or don't need to go to hell now for those sins like we once did. But Christ bore all of those sins on the cross on our behalf as our substitute. Christ cried out in agony on the cross, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? Why have you forsaken me? And the answer to that is because C.B. Etter complained. And if you don't die in his place, he goes to the hell he deserves to go to forever, my son. And Jesus says, not my will, but thine be done. And he cries out in victory, it is finished. So that you and I can sing how mighty the Savior he is. Christ is always enough. Always enough. For me. For me. What seems impossible for God to do for you right now? Trust God for it. Ask God for it. And believe that He can do it. And even if He doesn't do it, say, Lord, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Like Job. Say, like Job, like the Scripture that came forth this morning, though He slay me, yet will I hope in Him. Say like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar, our God, is able to deliver us. But even if He doesn't deliver us, we still won't bow. Say to God, God, I would love for You to provide this request that I'm asking for, but God, if You never bring this about in my life, You are enough for me. Always, always, always enough. And I'm giving thanks 
to you in this circumstance. Because this is your will for me in Christ Jesus. Oh, brothers and sisters, when a Christian can say that, oh, there's great power in that brother. Great power in that sister. Satan has lost all footholds when even he comes before God and says, oh God, okay, you're blessing him. Why don't you uh, bring about difficulty in Job's life and then he'll curse you to your face. And when instead you rise up and say, whether you slay me, yet will I hope in you. And when you say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, Satan's got nothing left. And God is greatly glorified because he sees in our hearts that his spirit has worked in such a way to transform us from saying it's never enough, never enough, to Christ is always enough, always enough, always enough for me. Take everything away from me. Take all away. Take even my life. And I'm going to say to live is Christ and to die is Cain. Brothers and sisters, that is the spirit-filled life, the spirit-empowered life that this world that is craving for everything that is temporary needs to see. And brothers and sisters in Christ, in His people, who show them something different than what they're living for. When the world looks into the church and sees the, wor- and sees the church living for exactly what the world's living for, Nobody's impressed. But when the world looks into the church and sees Christians giving thanks in all circumstances, for it is God's will for us in Christ Jesus, and they see us with broken, trembling hands on our knees, crying out to God saying, I praise you. I praise you. Oh, that might seem to be a portrait of weakness, but brothers and sisters, there is dynamic power being displayed in that witness. And I pray to God that He gives us grace to walk in such a way. Oh, brothers and sisters, the final point, I'll just hit very quickly. Worship God for who He is. You get to the end here. There's a surprising turn where the Lord actually becomes angry after He provides for all the meat. I can't help but wonder if the people just, they got the meat and they didn't even give thanks to the Lord probably. Just started consuming it. There's a mentality when we finally get our craving to not give thanks to God for all with it. And just to say, this is what I deserve to have gotten in the first place. And to eat it greedily. And and perhaps as the Lord looked down on that, the Lord was so provoked that His anger broke out. And remember that it's righteous anger. Learn a lesson from that. That God is to be feared. He's not to be trifled with. We can't put God in a box and limit His power. But we also can't put God in a box and just try to make Him into a domesticated, tame God who never gets angry at sin, is never provoked, and never has a right to bring about consequences or discipline in this heart and in this life when I rage against Him. No, God loves me enough. And loves you enough. And he is not a tame lion. As C.S. Lewis said, God is to be feared and to be worshipped for who he is in this book. Like John said so well, this is our authority. This is where we find out who God really is. 
And if some of us were right in the end of Numbers 11, we would just like to stop it at the end of verse 32. They gathered all the quail and threw a party and celebrated. And God just went on His merry way. And God rose up in His anger. God brought about a great plague, brothers and sisters. And to that, I just want to say this in closing. Christ community, let us worship God for who He reveals Himself to be. Not just in the easy things that are hard to accept about His his character or easy to accept about His character, but let us, when we read the tough passages and we read about the judgments of God, let us bow our knee and say, Lord, do what seems best to You. You are God and I am not. And I humble myself underneath of Your mighty hand. And I worship You. I praise You for being who You are. And when you get angry, it's a holy and righteous anger. And I worship You for that. But brothers and sisters, let us never forget the 35, 36 million pounds of meat provision God is a God who has met our sins with amazing grace and has forgiven us. We have cried out to Christ and the fire of His judgment has died out because Christ has borne all the wrath for our sins on the cross. God will still discipline His children, but God will never punish His children for their sins because He has already punished their sins in His Son on the cross. Aren't you so thankful for that amazing grace? Aren't you so thankful for this lavish God who has met our complaining with compassion, who has met our complaining with lavish generosity and provision, who has not given up on us and still calls us His people, still calls us His children, even after we have provoked Him so often to His very face. Is God not good? Is He not worthy of our worship and our devotion? Let us stand and let us worship Him. Worship team, let's return and let's surrender to God as we sing Mighty to Save, Mighty to Save. Let us thank Him for His amazing grace and His steadfast love and His provision. Let us worship Him for His salvation, which is so great and wonderful. Oh God, we thank You that Your arm is not too short to save. And oh Lord, how much power did it take to forgive just this one sinner, me, of my sins. As well as my brothers and sisters here who have repented of their sins and trusted in You. Lord, powerful, powerful salvation. Grace was needed. And grace has been provided. Almighty God, thank You so much for Your goodness and Your grace and Your compassion and Your patience and Your kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank You so much that as we look at the impossible in our lives, we can say over it with God, all things are possible. Almighty God, 
even our surrender is possible. Move in power in all of our lives to produce the surrender this morning that you require. The answer is not for us to get what we want, but to surrender what we desire and put it at the foot of the cross today and say, it's yours, Lord. And I'm yours. I'm no longer going to be a slave to craving this desire any longer. I'm laying that down. I'm repenting of it. And I'm turning away to follow you and to sing a new song. Christ is always enough. Always, always, always enough. For me, for us, oh Lord, our hearts indeed are restless until they find their rest in Thee. Almighty God, help us all this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit to find our rest in You. I ask You to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Let's thank Him, church, for how awesome He is. Mighty to save. Mighty, mighty to save. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I'd like to wish my dad a happy birthday this morning. Dad, happy birthday to you. Love that guy. Love him so much. Church, have a wonderful week. Love you so much. I'm grateful for you. God bless you.